Welcome to SatNuts, the podcast. I'm your host, Drew Klein, VP of Seacom Satellite Systems. What is a SatNut? SatNuts are the shrewd, engaging characters from the space and SATCOM business. Yes, they do exist. This podcast is where we discuss past decisions, current markets, and future endeavors. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Data Drill Communications. Data Drill Communications has been providing custom secure IT and communication solutions since 1999 with a heavy focus on the oil and gas industry. Headquartered in Calgary and with service centers in Alberta, British Columbia, Saskatchewan, and Texas, the company's service-oriented business provides robust communications to the most remote and the most harsh locations. Using top-of-the-line equipment and with the highest quality support, the company works closely with its clients to provide customized solutions to fit their specific requirements. Datadrill is a market leader in assuring connectivity for any field operator throughout North America. Visit the company's website at www.datadrill.ca. That's www.datadrill.ca. This is episode 00006. Today's guest, Dario Faka. President of Data Drill Communications. Finally, we're going to get to hear from a good old Canadian boy about the oil and gas markets from the point of view of an actual oil and gas rig head. Dario may be in the C suite right now, but he never forgets what life was like back in the bush. With the energy markets in a seesaw frenzy and with the SATCOM markets in a likewise turbulent period, hell, what isn't being shaken up these days? I figured Dario was one of the best people in the energy come SATCOM markets to give us some insight into what's going on in the Canadian oil sands, where the overall market is going, how SATCOM plays a big role in the energy markets. Who knows, maybe he'll tell you about how he bulged the twine playing hockey in his local Hoser House League. Bit of Canadian humor there. Dario's been a longtime customer and Data Drill has been a longtime SECOM partner. It was awesome to chat with him on the podcast. Please welcome Dario Faka. Dario, welcome to the Data Drill episode. Dario Faccia or Faka? Faka. In Italy, they actually say Faccia. So I'm thinking Dr. Fauci and I'm looking Dar- Dario, Fa- uh, you know, so, but it's Fa- Faka, right? Yeah. Faka, Faka. Is it a long A? Faka. So think about it this way. My wife, literally her friends call her Mother Faka. <laughs> That's how you'll remember. Perfect. It's good to have you here. The news in Ottawa today is that they're supposed to open golf courses in Ontario. I'm, I'm really excited for that. I know you're a big golfer. Are the are the golf courses open in Alberta? Have you been out there hacking? What's what's going on? They are. They've been opened. Uh, the one I belong to is a private club and they're just doing members only. Uh, changed the tee times from an eight-minute gap to a 10-minute gap. Uh, everyone gets a cart, uh, separate carts for separate households. Uh, my son's a member there, a junior, so it's cheap to have him. He's 10. He's getting close to whipping me. Um, but booking a tee time has been a challenge. They actually had their servers I, I guess they use a system out in Ontario actually and uh, it crashed the other day so but everybody but, wants to be outside I mean you bet can you can you blame them and the weather's turning and yeah. and you know sunshine is the best disinfectant and and uh who wants to go out there and you know have a beer or two and 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 uh, play some golf it sounds sounds like heaven to me yeah and so I, I actually managed to get a tea time uh, thank goodness um, for tomorrow. It's a little later in the day, but got the green light from the uh, the, the home boss, as as I would call her. And uh, so my son and I are going to go out there and uh, try and get in 18, but for sure we'll get in nine and see how the uh, sunlight holds up and how the pace of play goes. 
but uh, yeah, looking forward to it. So uh, on your recommendation, I actually watched the first hour of Planet of the Humans. The It's on yeah. YouTube and Netflix, the documentary, the Michael Moore climate, uh, or more, more of an environmentalist type documentary. And it actually was, I was, it was, I was expecting it was going to be just a typical, uh, you know, anti big oil. Yeah. Uh, Michael pro- Moore type film. Yeah. Like a Michael Moore. I mean, I like some of, some of his movies for sure. And, and I, yeah. I have an idea of which side he belongs to on which side of the fence, but it was actually very, uh, contrarian in many ways it was it was it was the opposite of what you hear from your typical mainstream media your left-leaning uh uh, environmentalist so so do you see the uh uh alternative fuels catching on especially now that we've seen the price of oil uh move so much lower so it's funny like you know i had that conversation with a couple different people that are aren't in the industry one of my friends being a home builder and he was saying how he was going to invest a ton of his his uh, retirement and whatnot into uh, renewables. And, you know, I warned him on doing so because just from a market perspective, you know, tomorrow, if you were going to build two factories side by side and you could heat one of them on your wind power and your solar power, so you, you build all this infrastructure out, but then you could heat it with natural gas and you could use natural gas as a cogen and you could burn it, um, you know, and, and, and use a cogen facility. Who's going to win out if all your pricing, all your other inputs are equal? Well, the guy running his natural gas, cause it's so cheap. And when you watch that movie, I mean, it really goes to show that generating wind, you know, through, through turbines, uh, generating electricity or, you know, uh, solar power really isn't that efficient yet. The, the movie really gets down to the crux of it, that we as humans are consuming more and more, and maybe we should lay off which I can't really argue that I, there's, there's a lot of merit to that. And, but I think people are getting simpler over time now. Anyhow, I think people are, they don't need the bigger house. They don't need, people are, are valuing and maybe it's part of COVID, but I think we're headed this way. Anyhow, people are valuing their health. They're valuing spending time with people, uh, just simple family dinners, that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I want an electric car. I want an electric house, solar, solar powered house, because I know that it's going to be very inexpensive, if not free, to heat my home, to travel places. I want that. Of course I do. We're just not there yet. Oil and gas has turned the corner in terms of uh, technology. And there's more and more companies investing in clean technology within the sector. There's more and more companies asking service companies like myself, what can we do to help them move in that direction? There is a conscious effort there, um, and I think the media has been really hard on the oil and gas sector, and the oil and gas sector has long been just plow forward because it's a pioneer type of system, a risk-reward system, and a lot of money hasn't been spent on lobbying because people felt, why do we need to lobby? And it's now biting the sector in the in the, in the the butt, and um, they're now starting to lobby and show the importance. I mean, it goes to show over time, any any country that has access to cheap energy starts to prosper. They get out of poverty. That allows them to buy things like internet. So I, I, I'm a true believer in what oil and gas has to offer. I also understand the implications of the environment, but I think as a whole, it's gotten better and better. And there are lots of technologies for burning cleaner and cleaner all the time. What, what we've seen lately in, in the oil and gas market extreme 
price pressure, um, the result of simultaneous demand and supply shocks. We've never seen anything like this. The old commodity trader in me, uh, you know, has been fascinated by what's gone on. We've we predicted it in the first show. Uh, we would see five to ten dollar a barrel oil, and this was when the price of oil was trading at thirty bucks. What what actually ended up happening was an unprecedented negative forty dollar per barrel oil for May delivery. Since you're in the industry and you you, you probably know more than the average layman about about that, can you explain how the the, the lifeblood of our economy can go to a negative forty dollar a barrel? A price, which means that the seller of the oil was selling you the oil and actually giving you $40 to take it off his hands. Can you explain that for a layman? You said it. You had so many things coming together all at once. Oil market has, um, in Canada, is completely different than the U.S. The U.S. Um, really took off, and that was largely due to Trump and his policies. And in Canada, it's gone completely the other way, and that's due to Trudeau and his policies. So, um, you know, you need a large investment, large cap, it's large capital to do this. When you have COVID hit and everyone goes home and the cruise ships aren't running and the planes aren't flying, the demand for oil crashes. At the same time, you have the Saudis and the Russians prior to that trying to kill the American market. You know, that all comes together and what it does is create a downward spiral. And then, you know, that product is still coming out of the ground. And some of these wells and some of these projects are hard to shut in. And some of them, when you shut them in, you can't bring them back online the way they were before. So you run a risk of, you know, killing a well, essentially. And um, some stuff they're able to shut in and they'll be able to recover uh, when prices recover. So there has been a lot of that up in Canada. I don't know what's happening on the U.S. side of the market, but we do have a lot of our customers that are shutting in um, a lot of their production. I heard that that, um, that gas wells, uh, as opposed to oil wells, gas wells were easier to shut down, but oil wells you can't shut down. Is that just for the reasons you described there, there that you can't stop them, but but natural gas you can? Is that correct? Um, yeah, and some of that has to do with, I'll give you an example, like some SAG-D wells up in Fort McMurray. So instead of just drilling down and expecting the oil to fly out of the ground, they, they pump a lot of hot steam down there. It's, it's called SAG-D, uh, steam-assisted gravity drainage, I believe. Anyways, um, what happens is when you pump all that hot steam down there, it, it, it gets the bitumen, the hard oil to basically liquidize and come they're able to get it to surface so you can imagine all of a sudden you take the steam out and everything hardens right now how do you get that steam back into there because now you're hitting basically you know a brick wall again so these are up to the geologists and the engineers to figure out what they can shut in and what they can't but when you have so much of this coming to market and there's only so much storage uh you know tanks you can't build tanks fast enough and you know people are 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 now what they're doing is is getting these oil tankers and pumping oil onto them and letting it sit at sea, right? And waiting for the price to recover so that they can then push this to market. But when you have a worldwide demand drop, you know, China's not at work anymore manufacturing because people are in the US are staying at home and not spending as much and you know everything's it's snowballed and there are people that I've read that are saying by the end of 2020, oil's gonna be at a hundred bucks. Now, do I believe that? Uh, that's hard to believe. If it does, great for us in the industry. Data Drill Communications is based in Calgary. Calgary is Canada's Houston 
Alberta is is our Texas. It's our Baku, Azerbaijan, whatever you want to call it. It's it's yeah. our it's our oil and gas heartland. It's it's a it's a critical part of our economic engine in this country. Uh, the the city itself, I guess, the province itself has undergone you know a number of oil price shocks in the last say few generations. Can you describe the feeling in the city? Is this time different? Does it feel like uh, this is going to be much more dramatic than previous oil shocks? I'll talk first a bit about it. It's nice to hear a guy from out east talk positively and understand the economic engine. And I guess that's a bit from your background. And you also get, you know, we we buy product from you. So you understand how we buy product from you is a, is a, is a derivative of, of the demand that we see. So, you know, I started... DD in 99. Uh, I believe I was a summer student in the patch in 95. You know, talking to guys that were around in the 80s, you know, they, even prior to COVID, they were saying this has been the worst uh, since 2014, 15. This has been the worst downturn and the worst experience in oil and gas in their career. Um, these are guys that went through the 80s, lived through the 80s. Uh, speaking to them now, they're like, how, like, they're just dumbfounded. You know, a lot of these guys are now saying, okay, well, I'm retired now because they're basically forced out of the game because it's a numbers thing. And they were, because they're older experienced, they're higher paid, that kind of thing. I'm even seeing guys that are, you know, in their, uh, you know, early 60 retiring. They're like, I'm done. I just can't, I won't deal with this anymore. I'm selling my house, everything I have. And I'm moving Scottsdale, Palm Springs, uh, the shoe swap, Lake Okanagan out that way, or it's Costa Rica. It's almost like they're giving up. They're just tired of, you know, fighting the battle of, the, the dirty oil. I just feel like you guys are, are totally unappre- unappreciated. And what I thought, at least in terms of federally, what we would see is that the federal government in Canada is, when it's liberal as it is today, it tends to be um, very unforgiving to the oil and gas industry and has been, you know, no pipeline building and, and, uh, and all these regulations that really stifle your business and your progress. What I was thinking they were going to do as kind of like their final salvo, like we've, we've kind of screwed with you guys for years and years and years, but we're going to bail you out now because of this COVID. Do you see any chance of a federal or provincial bailout for Alberta oil? I don't see it as long as Trudeau's in. That's my, that's my opinion. Um, I don't necessarily see that you need to have a switch to a, a right-wing government. I just don't think he grasps the financial impact of it, and it's going to be too late by the time he does. And and you could, people out here love to work. People out here are hardworking people. We've our business runs twenty four seven. I got guys that are on the phone till two three in the morning, and I've been there, done that. And even during this downturn, we went through. I think it was twenty sixteen seventeen. I mean, I I hopped on the phones again to help out some of my guys in our satellite network operation center, ironically enough. And, you know, I was up till two, three in the morning helping customers, so on and so forth. But, you know, people out here, they don't want a bucket of money. They want, okay, let's do something smart. And, um, you know, I think it, I forget who first proposed this, but the energy corridor seemed to be a great solution, right? You can run fiber down there so then you can get it better internet to different communities. And yeah, that chews into a bit of our business, I guess, Drew, but you know, we, we, there will be other markets for us. You guys are building that phased array antenna. I think that's a, a new market that we can talk about later that I think is going to be excellent, but you know, why not build an energy corridor that has natural gas, oil, um, and broadband internet going up and down it from East to West. And you know, we can feed off of it as Canadians, but we can also get our product out east 
to market and out west and get it over to Asia to market. And it benefits everyone. And you build the pipelines properly. You build them so there's, you know, you have satellite feeds on them so that, or internet feeds or whatever you need to have satellite backup so that you can visually see these things with cameras. You can monitor, we have the technology, right? The AI to monitor these pipelines, just build the best darn pipeline and then get everyone to work. And that is my only hope for the the, the federal government, even under Trudeau, might be pressured enough that to get the economy going again, they need to put people to work. And you can only build so many roads and bridges, but at some point it's going to be, okay, let's build some pipelines because that's going to employ a lot of people. We don't need to go north-south anymore. We can go east-west and make it a federal thing. Make it And, and, and you know, let's get the natives involved. They want to get involved. Let's make you know, let's make it prosperous for them and let's get broadband internet to their communities. Let's get oil and gas to their communities. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Seacom Satellite Systems. Seacom is a pioneer and world leader in the mobile auto pointing satellite antenna business. The company has sold more than 9,000 systems into over 100 countries. The product line includes vehicle-mounted driveaways, transportable case-based flyaways, backpack man-pack antennas, and fixed motorized products. All come with Seacom's proprietary iNet View controller system, which enables users to find broadband via satellite with just the push of a button. Seacom is also in late-stage development, partnered with the University of Waterloo, of a revolutionary KA-band electronically steerable phased array antenna technology that has the potential to forever change the antenna business. The company is publicly traded on the Canadian Venture Exchange under the symbol CMI and on the US OTC under the symbol CYSNF. Visit the website at www.c-comsat.com. That's www.c-comsat.com. Let's switch gears just for a second. Yeah. So, so Data Drill has been in the oil and gas business, uh, in the oil and gas satcom now for at least a generation. You and your dad started the company about 20 years ago. Even people who are in the satcom business, they they wonder often how oil and gas companies are using our solution. They don't know. They don't know about real-time operation centers and soil density data and all this stuff. They don't know. Can you explain how your company uses satellite technology and, and the importance of satellite communications in the oil and gas exploration and production business. We do a large focus on data and what's important. Everyone's getting their data. And we found over the years, what's happened is data used to be, or a connection in the, in the patch used to be sacred and tough to get. And if you could get a connection for them, it was the be all to end all. And now it's become they expect it to work just like their cell phone does at home. The expectations are I should be able to have broadband in the middle of nowhere and it should be cheap. And that's just not the case. For drilling and completions, like drilling for them, it's the drilling data getting back to town. And for the guys in town to be able to see that data real time and work with the team that's out on site to make decisions. There's also, and when I say drilling data, there's so much to it. There's you know, the rate of penetration. So how fast are they drilling? Uh, the amount of mud, what type of mud they're using, um, which is the, which is the drilling fluid to uh, keep the hole lubricated, to keep it from closing in, to keep the pressures down so that gas doesn't come to surface and, and basically 
create an explosion. Um, so there, there, there's so much data going on on site. Um, and then there's multiple users on site for that data. So there's the person that represents the company. They're usually a consultant and 99% of the time they're a consultant, um, but they'll work for, you know, the oil and gas customer, but, you know, sitting beside them could be the geologist, could be a directional driller. So these wells nowadays, they're not just going straight down, they're going down and then they, they spout off, uh, you know, horizontally. They're not just going vertically, they go horizontally for kilometers at a time. Well, you need specialist equipment and specialist people. So, and the tools are feeding back all this data. So they need to see where that well's going, where they're drilling. If they're getting into the zone, missing the zone that they're supposed to drill to, according to the engineered specs and the engineer back in town needs to see are they on track all that so everything's happening in real time and happening so fast because these rigs cost so much and the people cost so much you know it's whether it's 100 200 300 500,000 a day that's big money so if you can drill a well a day quicker you just save your company $200,000 or $300,000 right so time is money and having that data real time and being able to make those decisions and not just seeing the data drew but being able to call the rig right so you know we put the phone system on the rig so they can call sometimes it's over cellular if we can bring it in um but they still run the sat dish side by side and they have it as a backup and lots of rigs can't get cellular and it can't be consistent. So we do the voice over IP over the sat and they can call the rig and the rig can call to town and uh, make those decisions. And uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very expensive business and it's capital intensive. And uh, I, I heard a, a guy on a, a podcast recently say they're, they're in the business of, of, uh, what do they say? Missing wells um, is kind of, so they're mitigating the risk as much as possible so that when they do hit a, hit a well, that's going to produce for them. It covers all the times that they, they hit a duster. Yeah. I don't think people really fully appreciate the, uh, the work that the, especially the guys in the field uh, are doing. And uh, you, right. you guys are, are, are very uh, instrumental part of it. We can't forget how important communications are to any business just try to imagine doing whatever business you're in try to do it without comms it's just it's try to live your life without comms we, we've it's become food water and my fucking iphone yeah. that's what you pretty much need right so it's, and that, it's that's a, what we're that's what we're providing in the middle of nowhere if you really want to get it down to base that's what we're providing and some of these guys they just want to be able to facetime their wife back home for, so quality of life is sometimes that's what it's about no doubt that's, no that's doubt. part of the equation for, for what we provide as well. It's not just business. We saw in the last few months, we've seen um, satellite operators, uh, LeoSat, OneWeb go bankrupt. We've seen Speedcast, they were the world's largest satellite service provider bankrupt. Just last week, we saw Phasor, which is working on an electronically steerable antenna, much like Seacom, uh, they're gone too. Today, IntelSat. I mean, what's going on in our business? Is there is there a future for SATCOM in in the oil and gas market or do you see it kind of being whittled away here i'd see a future because i think what's what you're seeing is is uh you know they're going to have to develop other areas that are going to be more remote and you're also you also need that dedicated bandwidth you need that consistency so you cannot have real-time streaming data over cellular even today It, it it's still you know cellular the networks, the way they're run are consumer grade, right? They've just set up a tower and let everyone attach to it. There is no QoS, there is no CIR, there is no mechanism to make sure your data gets from A to Z. And so the, I believe there'll always be a place for satellite. Um, I think there's just gonna be a mix now. 
So, you know, we're working on, we've got an SD-WAN solution that is, um, you know, we're, we're doing a bunch of testing on, we're trying to get there where it's not one or the other, they're kind of combined. And the big challenge there is the latency differential between a KU band system and a, and a cellular system, you know, making those things marry up is, is a challenge, um, but we're getting there. So that'll be a neat solution for us. I think with the development of antennas, like what you guys are working on, and this is the first I heard phaser went, went, went under, um, you know, I don't follow them at all. We're, we're kind of waiting on guys like uh, Ccom to to develop their product, um, you know, and, and eventually go from a KA to a KU system on the phased array side. But I see I see that opening up a, a large market, right? So I'll, I'll give you an example. I mean, we used to rent when Data Drill started. We used to rent fax machines for God's sakes, and that's guys would literally write handwritten reports, and then they'd fax them into town. And we no longer rent fax machines, but we rent other pieces of equipment like a auto acquisition satellite dish to get your data to and from town. So I think, you know, as technology changes, we change with it and we are an integrator and we don't just say, here's your satellite dish, deal with it. We go out there, set it up. We teach people how to use it. And we explain to the customer the benefits of satellite versus cellular and why it's important. And they understand that they need their data real time. And some of them try and get away with cellular and then they, you know, realize that that doesn't work for them. And then they switch to satellite. So I don't, I don't see it going away at all i see it i see it growing i think we've almost hit the bottom here uh but in terms of the market overall i think you're going to see more of it as everything needs to be connected 24 7 what has to happen is the market in oil and gas needs to pick up so that the profitability is there for them to change out some of the old infrastructure if you get a flat panel antenna you can start doing all kinds of things right you can start tracking vehicles now you can track equipment um, high-end high equipment that you could track before from an asset management perspective, but you couldn't track a lot of the analytics on it in real time. I, I think there's there's a lot that can still be done. It's just no one has the money right now to spend it, right? So Whether you, it's a drilling contractor, they don't have the money to spend on technology that's going to help their business because they're getting squeezed by the oil and gas producer on pricing and oil and gas they don't have the money to spend on more expensive services that are going to give them better value how do you how do you value or how does your customer value the total cost of ownership for these types of large you know commercial purchases do they do they sacrifice the 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 quality for the price in many cases, especially in a time when, when communications, as, as we know, is so important. Like you cannot be down on a on an oil rig. I heard that for every uh, day that you're down, um, I forget it was Bill Green, I think from Speedcast once said, for every day that a, an oil rig or an oil facility is down in terms of comms, they're losing you know, several, maybe five, six hundred thousand dollars per day. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the number is, but there's some some significant number. So so it, when it fact- depends on it depends on the size of the rig and the operation. You know, the offshores are going to be the most expensive. And then on the onshore, a big triple is going to be ridiculously expensive. And then so people that don't understand a triple means that you can fit three nine meter strands of pipe in at one time. Uh, double means you fit two strands of that pipe because you connect the pipe and a, sing- a single means you've can only put one stand up in the derrick. So when you're driving down the road and you see a rig and it it looks like a small rig, it's probably a single. If it looks like a monster, that's probably a triple. What's happening out here is that everyone is trying to save, save, save on everything and anything. It's it's down to the point where, you know, even in offices, it was like shut off the coffee machine because 
you know, the coffee bill every month is costing us. I know it sounds crazy, but those are the extremes that things have gotten to here. And it starts eating away at, at everything, right? So it starts eating your decision-making process, right? So now you're, tri- you're doing the old proverbial, you know, trip over a dollar to, to, to save a dime kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm, and I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not saying everyone's like that. We're quite fortunate that the customers that we have are larger cap customers. Um, we're working with them. We're quote-unquote sharing in the pain. My whole job since COVID hit was in my home office every day talking to our customers, whether I was engaging them or they were calling us looking for help. And then it, then, you know, the proverbial shit flows downhill. So then it switches from me and my guys, then talking to our suppliers and asking how we can work with them and how they can do things with us. And we've had some really good candid conversations, but they're tough too, you know, dealing Mm -hmm. with, you know, even looking at satellite space, you know, that's one example. We had to talk to our, our you know, the guys we, we acquire our space from and those conversations were tough. But, you know, we worked through it and we're on the other side of it. And I think if you both come out of a deal and you're both really not the happiest, then it's probably a good deal for both of you. It's such a mess what's going on right now. I really, uh, have you found any, have you found any like positive things that have come from, from the COVID? Like personally, I have quit smoking. I haven't smoked in three months. Eating really well, exercising more than I ever have before. Have you seen any positives that have come from this? Um, oh, sure. Like, you know, um, same same thing here. I've always been pretty good with working out and, and staying healthy and eating healthy. We've just kicked it up a notch. One thing I would recommend is look into a Peloton bike. To me, it seems... It's just, it's too much, man. It's like 3000 bucks and 60 bucks a month. It's, it's insane. I, I can't, I just can't bring myself to, okay. to, to do that. Now they have 0% interest to pay the bike off though. I get on the Peloton. I ride that. I also lift weights. Uh, I used to, uh, when COVID wasn't around, I would go to a Muay Thai instructor, uh, Smandich, team Smandich training here in Calgary. Uh, Trevor and his brother, Nate, I believe Trev was the world champ for two years he's Canadian champ a bunch of years it helps build confidence it helps build resilience it makes you tougher physically mentally your wife like my wife is has has learned to bake bread which is yeah terrible it's like the worst possible <laughs> thing that she could have done was to start making this fabulous chewy beautiful bread so like I'm shooting gluten all day now I got giant pieces of bread covered in butter that's the it's a positive yeah, but it's a negative at the same time hear, so I hear and what I've read on sourdough it's actually not that bad for you because the way it's made and the cultures and whatnot now I'm gonna stick with that story so I can continue to eat it but I just throw in another 20 minutes on the bike or do what I got to do to kind of counteract it. And Don't you miss uh, sports uh, on television? I mean, they couldn't have done a... Killing. I saw a great picture the other day of uh, a, a tree, a giant tree that was just on fire. And underneath it, it says, uh, I set this tree on fire just so I could see the flames destroy the leaves. <laughs> <laughs> right of uh, so good and of and uh stuck in ottawa yeah i mean this was the best the best thing for our hockey team covid was great for the sens um yeah. but uh and it's and it's terrible for the leafs so that makes me really happy too yeah. but um so have you yeah. followed do you have you followed the the sens for quite a while then are you yes yeah, well, i'm a big so, fan i'm a big fan yeah so 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 one of my very close friends is brian mcgratton you would remember him as the guy sure. that came into the league and and uh beat up Ty Domi and that's I was going to say he's a he was a goon. So that night the story goes he had a letter so they got those 
basically mailboxes, right? They're, they're open slotted, I guess, but you know, he walks by and sees something in his, so he's like, Oh, not sure if I'm cut or what's going on, opens it. And it was a letter from the owner basically saying, or go buy a condo. You, you just made the team or something to that effect. Uh, his, him and his wife do a lot of charity events and stuff too. So he's a local, he's a local boy, a Calgary boy. Him and yeah. his wife are from Hamilton, but uh, yeah, they 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 live here now. Have a house. They have a a, a little uh, a young son there who uh, Angelo and him get along famously. And but th- and that's been tough too during the COVID thing, right? Like we we used to have our crib matches after after a big big meal at my house or at his house, and uh, now it's you know we're playing crib online. Yeah, I've been walking like ten kilometers a day. I just get in my car and I go to a new neighborhood. I just walk the neighborhood Better. until my feet bleed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and it's been it's been great like i it's i know it's not a hard workout i'm throwing in a few sprints and stuff here and there I'm, sure. i did a muay thai class it was it was fun it was i just i couldn't I just couldn't see myself going three or four times a week. I enjoyed it. I had a good time. I, my, my buddy and I, like you partner up, I guess, and he was just, you were doing um, just crunches. And every time you got went up for a crunch, you got hit with a bag yep. like in, in your chest. Yeah, yeah we do and those. the next day... <laughs> Or and for the next week, um, my body was like mush. I felt like I had been, you know, I never felt it, it wouldn't go away. It was like four or five days. I'm like, I'm still hurting from this, you know. I'm I'm such a wimp. Uh, Dario Faka, Faka. Okay, Dario Faka. Do- uh, Dr. Fauci. We'll just call you Dr. Fauci. Oh yeah, no, don't do that. Oh, <laughs> that guy's under a lot of pressure. All right, man. Nice to okay, chat with you. Great chatting with you. And next time you come out to Calgary, I'm going to throw a pair of gloves on you and we're going to go to the Muay Thai gym. And we won't spar. I promise you that. I don't spar friends because never ends well for either party. But we we will uh, we'll get a workout in that will uh, be life-changing for you. Are you so, 6'2"? You're still 6'2", 290? Because I'm 6'2", 270. Yeah, so we're, there you we go. We're right yeah. We we could we could go at it I guess but after then, after that workout I promise you we'll go for a, a, a nice cheat meal how's that sound a hundred percent every meal is a cheat meal for me <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, all right man nice to okay, chat with you take, take care, care buddy. buddy okay bye 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 see ya. Subscribe to Satnuts the Podcast. Also, rate and review on Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, and anywhere fine podcasts are downloaded for free. Audio engineering provided by Ben Klein. Music provided by Bacon Jew. Special thanks to the entire CCOM staff. Stay nuts, everybody.